This podcast involves discussions around family violence and alcohol and drug misuse. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to the Better Lives Family Service podcast. My name is Reese, and I am a family worker at Better Lives. I am the creator and the host of the content you will be hearing. This podcast is brought to you by Better Lives Family Service and made possible by Humankind Charity. This episode is on something that most people will be familiar with, alcohol. On today's episode, you'll be hearing about alcohol, what it is, how it works, and what it does to our brains. You'll hear from experts in their fields, providing evidence-informed discussion on the effects of alcohol on families and children. You'll also hear from people who live through these things on a regular basis. Hopefully, I can make you giggle. Hopefully, you'll learn something, and maybe you'll share some connections with the people who tell their stories. To start us off, we're going to look at the origins of alcohol where it all began and where it is today. It is thought that the oldest known brewery dates all the way back 13,000 years ago. Researchers found trace elements of beer in a cave. They've presumed that it might have been used in a ritual feast to honour the dead. Chemical analysis of jars in Jihu, China, found fermented beverages dating back between 7,000 and 6,650 BC. This analysis found the drinks to be made of grapes, berries, honey, and rice. Between 5000 BC to 1500 BC, evidence of alcohol starts popping up all around the world. In 2000 BC, texts start talking about alcohol took a medicinal use. Texts from the Hebrew Bible recommended giving alcoholic drinks to those who are dying or depressed in order for them to forget their miseries. So that's interesting. From very early on, people were using alcohol to treat what can be seen as physical and mental pain. More on this later. Now, by the Middle Ages, beer was a common drink for all classes and all ages of people to consume, and it started to form important parts of cultural practice all around the world. It was used in religious rituals, used as a common part of hosting guests or events, for medicinal purposes, as a part of daily meals. It was warm, cold, Strong, weak, it became a defining characteristic of some cultures, particularly the Roman and Greek empires. Ancient philosophers started chirping in on the conversation, giving alcohol its commonly accepted social norms we see today. Xenophon and Plato stated that alcohol in moderation can have beneficial effects to health and happiness, but drunkenness, as they phrased it, was seen as a problem. Plato believed people under the age of 18 should not drink it, and Hippocrates highlighted its therapeutic value. Coming into the modern era, alcohol has seen a huge change in its relationship with societies. Today, it still holds a lot of these ancient understandings. It is seen all through popular culture, referenced in film, music, sports, the news. In British culture, it is a widely accepted pastime. It forms a way of connecting with friends, a way of starting conversations or settling the nerves. You have a wine with dinner, a beer on a hot day or a gin and tonic if you're watching your weight. But with modern science providing a greater understanding of the ancient drink, the negative effects of alcohol have been widely understood and acknowledged. We're now going to talk to one of my colleagues, Alison. She's a family worker at Better Lives Family Service. With over 25 years of experience in the alcohol and drug sector, she's well-versed in what alcohol can do to families. Alison is going to tell us what alcohol is and what it can do to our bodies. Hi, Alison. Thanks for your time today. That's okay. Now, alcohol, what is it and how does it affect our brains and body? Well, alcohol is a drug. And it's classified as a depressant, meaning it slows the brain's responses down. Slurred speech, reduced coordination, altered perception and delayed reactions are typical effects of alcohol on the body. These responses are affected by the amount a person drinks, their tolerance to the drug, their height and weight, how dilute the alcohol is, Mm. and to a point how much food the person has in their stomach, and also the mood of the person before they start drinking. Right. 
And they say you shouldn't drink on an empty stomach, is that right? Well, having an empty stomach means that alcohol enters the bloodstream more quickly and so has a more immediate effect and becomes harder to control. Also, alcohol is an irritant and drinking on an empty stomach can cause nausea and vomiting too. Right, okay. So what would happen if you were to overdo it? Well, the body can be seriously depressed or slowed down. It's also toxic or poisonous, and the body will try to get rid of it by vomiting, which can be very dangerous, as the choke or gag response can be depressed. People can literally choke or inhale their own vomit. Mm. Diarrhea and urinary tract problems also go hand in hand with heavy drinking, and people can become very dehydrated. Mm. It also subdues the ability to feel pain, so people can hurt themselves without realising It can cause unconsciousness and even death, particularly if mixed with other drugs, including prescribed medication. Right. In most cases, if you have a drink or two, you might not even feel any noticeable effects on your body. Mm. These severe reactions depend on how much, how often and how quickly someone has drunk, Mm. their general health and if they're using other drugs. All right. So if I was watching Emmerdale with my dinner and had a glass of red wine, I should be fine, right? (laughs) Yeah, that should be fine. But beware of making this a regular thing as it can be habit forming. It's very easy when drinking regularly to start drinking more and more in order to get the same effect. This is referred to as increasing your tolerance to alcohol. Okay, so what about alcohol's effect on the brain? Well, alcohol affects the neurotransmitter GABA, which is gamma amino butyric acid. GABA is a neurotransmitter or chemical messenger. Its primary function is to regulate the communication between brain cells or neurons and reduce their activity. Hmm. Neurons are responsible for everything that goes on in our brain and therefore body and need to communicate with each other in order for things to work properly. Hmm. GABA helps the brain to do things like go to sleep, store information as memory. Right. And what about the brain's reward system? Alcohol also affects the brain's reward centre and speeds up the release of dopamine, another neurotransmitter or chemical that induces a sense of happiness. Mm. That's why people feel warm and fuzzy when they drink. After a while, however, the dopamine becomes dampened and the feel-good factor can quickly be reversed and people can feel anxious and depressed. Mm. Alcohol is also a disinhibitor, which means that people become more impulsive and often do and say things they later regret. Mm. It can also lead to risk-taking behaviour, accidents and aggression. Right, okay. Other parts of the brain are affected, for example, the cerebellum, which regulates balance, and the cerebral cortex, which, with GABA, takes in, makes sense of and stores new information as memories. Short-term memory problems are very common in people who drink regularly. There you go. So a lot of these physical sensations we feel is actually the brain responding to alcohol. Well, yes. Right. So is there a safe way to drink so you avoid most of these problems? Well, the recommended daily intake for alcohol is three to four units for a man and two to three units for a woman. Right. This is about a pint of beer or a large glass of wine. If you have two small glasses of wine with a meal, for example, this is a safe level of drinking. Mm. If you have, let's say, seven glasses of wine in one go, this would be an unsafe level. Right. So drinking more than the daily recommended limit is binge drinking. Well, binge drinking is drinking in excess over a short period of time. Binge drinking can be harmful or even hazardous and increases the risk of falling, having accidents or assaults. Regularly drinking above the recommended amount can contribute to developing mental health problems and numerous physical health problems such as issues with blood pressure, strokes, liver disease, cancer of the mouth, throat, stomach, bowels, lungs and in fact pretty much any part of the body. Regular drinking can cause long-term effects, including physical dependency. The damage to the brain and the body can be permanent. It can also cause issues within relationships. Okay. So why drink if it causes all of these issues? Well, drinking can be enjoyable. The positive sides of drinking are socialising, relaxing and having fun. Drinking unsafely can cause huge problems for an individual, their families and loved ones, and for society, however. If you do drink, pace yourself. Understand the amount of alcohol you're putting into your body. Everyone is different. Know yourself and how you are likely to react. Also, look after yourself and your friends. Think about the situation and the expectation. Is there an expectation that you'll get very drunk or wasted? Eat first. If someone doesn't want to drink, that's their choice. That's right. So respect their choice and drink responsibly. Great advice. Absolutely. We're going to speak to Anita later about alcohol dependency and what it might look like for someone. 
An important part of working with family members of alcohol misusers is understanding their story, giving them time and space to work through some of the problems that arise on a daily basis. You'll now hear from Lolly, who will give us an insight on what it's like to live with alcohol misuse. This interview was conducted during COVID-19 with the appropriate social distancing. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, babes. How are you going? Thanks for coming in. Yeah. It's nice to get out being isolated all this time and stuck indoors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've noticed you brought some art in. Would you be able to talk talk about well, it? Well, um, I've got two art lessons I go to, um, one on my estate and one in uh, St John's Way, Caxton House, and the, both the art teachers have given us homework being we're stuck at home. We're part of well-being, mm. so it's been really good. Um yeah, she's a, that's my morning teacher. She's Spanish and she's uh, really unusual. She's got an ex- exhibition at the moment in Tokyo with some of her work. Mm. So um, You kind of want your art teachers to be unusual though, don't you? Yeah, I, I, and uh, I've become friends with her and I do take my dog and myself over to meet her. I really enjoy my art. It, it's, I don't know, I could sit and draw all, all night and mm. feel good about myself and mm. uh, relaxed, you know, mm. and, uh, and then what we're losing Keith now, he died back on the 14th, no, 12th of uh, February, just mm. before Valentine's Day. Uh, I thought, oh, I'll be, be able to get back to my art classes and all my yoga and this and that. Yeah. And now I've been finished up, I'm stuck at home. So it's really nice having this work sent to me mm. to do, Yeah. I've been enjoying it. Mm. What jobs have you done? I've worked in the fashion trade for quite a long time on and off. I've worked for some really good designers. I worked for G. Muir, Thomas Dajewski, um, Berkatex, mm. Susan Small. When I was at Susan Small, we'd done Princess Anne's wedding dress. Amazing. When I was at Thomas Dajewski, we did uh, Shirley Bass's beaded dresses. Wow. Clothes for uh, Ivana Trump. Wow. Diane, Fergie, mm. Thatcher. Mm. Yeah. Thatcher. You know, yeah. Incredible. I mean, and I, when we used to work, because we'd work to midnight and he'd get us home in the taxis, the designer would, mm. and we'd go to the show when it was on. We'd mm. get a ticket to go and see that and you'd see all the celebs in the audience. Mm. You know, so. That's really cool. So you mentioned Keith passing away. Would we be able to talk about maybe your relationship with Keith from the start? Yeah. um, I mean, I met him when he was 20. He was in the Navy. Mm. I'd I'd worked in um, Florida as a nanny a year earlier and made friends. Then the following year, I started to work for a family in Boston, Massachusetts, and I went for a holiday with a friend I'd made friends with the previous year in mm. Florida. And we went down and we met up with our other friends and I met him. He'd just come out of the Navy brig. So he'd gone absent without leave. So he'd been in the brig for about three months, mm. solitary for some part of it. But because um, when I first met him, he was exciting and fun. He was 20, you know, mm. we were kids, you know. I was living abroad mm-hmm. in America, you know. It was, just, it was fun. We mm. hang out with his Navy mates, mm. you know, this party party, you know. Mm. But uh, I, I did know what a, what a heavy drinker he was when I first of all met him. I, mm. I knew he liked to, you know, smoke and uh, marijuana and that. Me growing up in London in a cockney old-fashioned family, we shared a house with an aunt and uncle and their children, and they would always come home from the pub of a night on a Saturday night mm. and bring a crate of beer. The carpet would be rolled back and dancing and singing and mm. having a good old time. And I always found, well, it must be fun to, you know, people drink and they're, they're getting on with each other. Mm. When I finished up with them, the chap I married, um, he he was really nasty mouth all the time. He, mm. he 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 wasn't a happy bunny, believe me. He was. And what what was it like living with Keith? It was it, it was like walking on eggshells when he was drunk. If he wasn't drunk, we got on really well. He's a very intelligent man. I mean, later on in life, he went 
to university and got a degree in philosophy. Mm. And then he finished up working for UCL. He runs so many libraries mm. at, at the university. And he was doing really well. He'd come home drunk one day mm. and uh, he was gone for an interview because his firm was m moving out of London and he didn't want to go with them. Mm. And he went, met up with someone and got so drunk. So when he come home that night, I always used to have a routine where I'd strip him down and put him to bed. Mm. But he just wouldn't go to sleep. He got up, he just had a pair of jeans and he run downstairs barefooted, no shirt, long hair blowing in the wind and trying to get out the door. And I'd put the deadlock on it. And my son went and opened it for his dad. And he was only nine years old. And he mm. says, Mum, can you phone the police and say, if, you, if, they, if they find my dad, don't, let him, don't beat him up because he's drunk. Because mm. that was the thing that used to happen with Keith. It, mm. If he was really drunk, he'd go out and he'd come back all beaten up. He, he didn't know what had happened. He'd mm. lose things out of his pockets. Would you say it was unpredictable living with oh, him? Oh, he, he was, was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You didn't know what was going to happen. I can remember mm. coming home and saying to the kids, Is he, has he had a drink today? You know, I, I was always on tender hooks when I come home. Mm. I could go and cook a meal. And within that hour of me cooking a meal, he'd got his whiskey out, which was a great one for hiding stuff, mm. and had drunk half a bottle of whiskey by the time I put a dinner in front of him. Mm. And either that dinner would go into him or it'd go down the toilet if he was annoyed with me. Mm. He was, you know, if I brought a different meal up to him, he says, why, have you poisoned my one? Mm. You know, he's quite... I, I've spoken to some people about some of the weird stuff he used to say and do, and they say mm. he sounds more like a psychopath, you know. Mm. Um, I don't know, I think he was a, a, sh a shy person and the drink made him feel a lot better about himself. Mm. And I'm the chatty one. Yeah. And he would always... Uh, try to belittle me in company mm. I, you know i'd like the oh i'd love the floor to just open up and mm. swallow me to be honest at times i got to the point where i wouldn't go to weddings funerals i wouldn't go to family meetings with him i would uh, mm. try and go on my own mm -hmm. which wasn't nice but it was easier for me than yeah. going along and, and being so embarrassed by him you know if we had a family gathering you used to get so drunk in the end and annoying. I mean, he's been thrown off trains. He's been rude to people where they've knocked him out. He's fallen in front of buses. And lucky he's not been run over. One time, he uh, he was so drunk. After that time, I says I got got him to bed, and he wanted to come out the house. He gone run out the house. He run down the road, and he went into the police station, Caledonian Road. Mm. He smashed their windows. Run out went up a building that had scaffolding behind them and then fell on his face. Mm. And I don't know how he didn't kill himself. They mm. took him to hospital, wouldn't give him any pain relief because he was so sloshed. Mm. Then they put him back to the police and he was put in a cell. Mm. You know, he'd come out with the darndest things. You know, I, I, you'd absolutely cringe with it, you know. Mm. And this is an educated man, but mm. with addiction... Changed his personality. Oh, completely. Like. Yeah. You know, and it was just, it was sad because he could be nice. Mm. You know, I was with him for 46 years. So, but I was always there. I was, uh, I suppose I become his enabler. I looked mm. after him. As soon as he got ill, I got him, tried to get him well. And then when he got involved, his doctor sent him to Cranston's mm. and Casa. Mm. And uh, he got involved, he got in a program which really did help. Mm. Uh, even though he'd lost his job, he went through detox. Mm. And, you know, the grandkids even went and visited him all the time while he was in detox. And mm. then he'd come out and he wouldn't go off and do rehab. And uh, I wish he had, but he wouldn't. He says, no, I want to do it in the community. So he came here to do it. Mm. And... Um, he says, oh, if I go out they, uh, elsewhere, they say I'm not meant to come back into the community mm. so I don't mix with the wrong people. I said, but I'm not one of the wrong people. I'm not the one that supplies you with drink. Mm. You know how much I'm against it, mm. you know, but... Uh, so when you say you're an enabler, what do you mean by that? Well, I w I'd get him well again. I would... Mm. I, I, w I wouldn't enable him to drink, but mm. I would 
getting well again to getting back to work and yeah yeah so it was almost like you're taking care of him yeah i took care of him i nursed him you know uh, i mean i'd have things where i mean my granddaughter phoned me last night and i was going through what i was going to do today and she says do you remember when he passed out in the passage nan and me and reese just walked all, all over him to get get upstairs and you said just leave him there let him sleep it off because mm. he'd go to go out the house and pass out and be laying in the passage half a day i mean mm. one time he laid on the floor three quarters of a day and when he got up he said i can't feel my arm i think i've had a stroke and i said well it's not that you've laid on your arm on the wooden floor all this time <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know i could laugh but he got to the point where I, when he did hurt himself, because he hurt my feelings so much or mm. he'd hurt me, mm. I used to go, yes. You know, I just, I just, the mm. love was really going away, coming out of me. But so it sounded like it was getting hard to really do I got with really behavior. hard, didn't yeah. he? And I really did. He was, he was such hard work. Mm. You know, I, I just, I was I was angry as well because he'd got this good education that he uh, and he'd got a, finally got a good job and we had good pay coming in and he was spoiling it you know mm. when he got really ill with the drink they'd give him a couple of weeks off mm. and I'd get him to the doctors and they'd put him on Valium and we'd get him dry again mm. but it's the usual thing when you learn that Alanon they get on this merry-go-round and they get off of it every so often and then they're mm. back on it so. So it's like a relapse. It's like a cycle. You just of relapsed. Now yeah. I believe now it wasn't such a relapse. I think he was having mini breakdowns. Yeah, can't was struggling to cope. Yeah, yeah. Two years ago, uh, Keith had me arrested. He mm. says to the police that I was beating him up, which was a lie. Mm. They come and arrested me, and I was in the cells for twelve bleeding hours. Twelve mm. hours. And that's when I says, enough is enough. I can't go on like this. I've mm. put up with him uh, shaking me and bruising me and mm. pushing me around. And he'd never put my name on the house. So I had mm. no right to go to the council and ask to be moved. All they'd do is put me in a multi-occupant building. Well, the thing is, at the time, I had two Rottweilers mm. and no one would house me with two big Rottweilers. He used to get angry when, when he was in drink and I would I I would just dilute him. I'd, I'd go off for the day, go to my daughter's or I'd go around to friends and stay overnight. And if if I stayed out like, like he'd often find where I am and he'd phone up and say, if you don't come home now, I'll put the Rottweilers on the street. Mm. blackmail me like that so i'd go home but i mean way back when we used to barricade ourselves in one of the bedrooms to Mm. get away from him and he never believed he did these things Mm. because i remember a a while back when my son says i can remember us barricading ourselves in my room dad Mm. and then he brought it up to me and he says that's a lie and i said no it wasn't Mm. he'd got horrible with me and he pulled me out of the bed and he says, go and sleep in one of the other rooms. And we mm. all finished up in Noah's room mm. while he ranted and raved and pummeled the door. Mm. I mean, one one night um, he was annoyed with me and he just kept dropping something really heavy on the floor because I'd took to having the room downstairs as my safe room because mm. I'd started to go to Solace and they says, you've got to have a safe room. Mm-hmm. And he just kept r- dropping something. It sounded like a hammer on the floor, mm. bang, bang and sending me those horrible messages and coming down and trying to smash the door in Mm. and in the end i called the police and got out and he threatened to kill me Mm. and they took him off and they he did go to court and uh when he come back home he says i want you out this house i'm giving you two two weeks so I went. I I often work for the Pillion Trust, homeless people, mm. with a chap called Sabas, who's who's an absolute diamond. Mm. And I went and saw him, and I even showed him some of the nasty texts he'd sent me. Mm. And, and he's the one that calls him a psychopath. And, and uh, he started to do paperwork for me to get me out of there. He had so much problems, and it wasn't until later on that 
I found out that he's at the age of seven, they'd had a snow day and the schools were off and he went out with his friends to go sledge riding. Mm. And his brother went out with his older friends because he was 13. Keith was seven. Georgie, his brother, come back early and mm. he went in the kitchen and says to his mum, I'm going up to my friend Barry's house. And she says, I don't like you going to his house. There's too many guns in the house. Mm. Anyway, within the hour, the boy ran into mum's kitchen mm. and says, I've shot Georgie's in the garden. And he shot him in the stomach. And this was you, Keith, was it? Keith's brother. Keith's brother. Yeah. And they got him into hospital. He was on a machine for about three days, but the, in the end they were told to turn it off. Mm. Maybe today you may have survived because they're so much more clever mm. with operations. But he Do you reckon that had an impact on Keith? Terrible. He never got to see his brother, so they mm. weren't allowed to go in because he was only seven years old. He had a sister of two years. His father was an alcoholic, he, mm. and five of his uncles were as well. Mm. But his father had come back from the Second World War. So it seems like he was running in the family. Yeah, oh, definitely. And he um, he was blown up in a foxhole out in the. He was a desert rat. And both of his friends beside him died, but he survived. Mm. But he suffered with shell shock for the rest of, the, of his life. He mm. used to shake and sweat like crazy just a, with a thunderstorm going mm. on. Apparently the night before the boy had got killed, he'd been down the garden drunk. He was going to cut his wrists. And mum found him and brought him back in the house, George, mm. the dad. And, of course, when George died she turned around and says to him see god didn't take you he took your son mm. she blamed him and mm. the boy hated because he was a lot older and he was more knowing of what was going on with the drink problem in the house mm. keith finished up in a new school new friends his mum finished up on valium an absolute wreck mm. and his father drank even more mm. and they never really got over losing this son they really didn't mm. and i think Keith got the brunt of it. You know, he did say at one time, his mother says, pity it wasn't you, not him. But mm. whether his mum said that, I don't know. After things he'd come out with uh, later on in drink, I, I, it was very hard for me to believe. Mm. And talking to his kid's sister, she used to say to me, it seems like we had different parents, Mm. the way he talks about them to the way I think of them. She had a happy life, and even mm. though Dad drank, she, she it didn't bother her that much. Mm. He worked for Westinghouse, mm -hmm. uh, my father-in-law. He was a safety man. But at the end of his life, he was drinking so much that the union came to Mum and says, we want to give him early retirement before they take the job away from him and lose his pension. So mm. he took early retirement but the trouble is mary jane his mother then died of cancer mm. and he was the uh is it the executive when you run the wheel and all that yeah and he had to run and do all the the funeral and all that but mm. i think he was dipping down some of the money because he was more drunker than ever mm. he was you know so uh so do you reckon all these things that happened in his life with his parents oh, getting definitely. sick and and drinking his parents, his dad his being a drinker. Drank. His dad was always drunk. We always come home like after we got married and we'd go around there. His dad was always drunk on the couch with the TV on. Mm. You know, he um, he drank every day. He was part of the Roosevelt Working Man's Club and, and booze was so cheap mm. at the Working Man's Club. You know, he can never remember being taken out by his, his dad as a family and actually doing anything they'd get so far and they'd finish up sitting outside a bar while his dad was in there getting drunk because mm. he still he drove the car the whole time while he was drunk but he used mm. to drive very slow he did yeah but um now we're going to take a quick break from a conversation with lolly to speak to our service manager anita Anita is going to tell us about alcohol dependency and the effects that it can have on families and children. So Anita, from a professional point of view, how would we define alcohol dependency? 
Well, Reese, from the more medical perspective, alcohol dependence means physical dependence. That is, experiencing physical symptoms when you stop drinking. Mm. However, it is important to remember that most addictive behaviour has a strong physiological aspect. Basically, the person comes to believe that they cannot cope without drinking. Mm. This is important because it is often this aspect of the person's dependency that leads them to relapsing. Mm. Even when they have overcome their physical dependence, this relapsing is so hard for them and their family members to understand. Mm. Now, there is interestingly, there is no set limit for how much drinking is required, as it can be different for different people given their tolerance levels. Mm. Some people who drink two glasses of wine a day could be dependent, and some people can have five to six glasses of wine a day and be dependent. Right. So it really depends on if the person would experience withdrawals if they stopped drinking. Yes, Reese. So what would that withdrawal look like? Generally speaking, Reese, withdrawal symptoms are typically the opposite of what alcohol does when a person is intoxicated. Right. So these symptoms include sweating, shaking, nausea, and dry heaving, and high levels of anxiety. If the alcohol dependency is severe, a person could also experience hallucinations or fits, or could even have delirious states that can be life-threatening. Jeez, that sounds pretty terrible. Yes, it can be quite painful and scary, especially if you don't know why you feel like that. Mm. We would recommend people only withdraw from alcohol with medical supervision, as it can be dangerous to do it by yourself. Right. So, listeners, if you're experiencing these things or know someone who is, or if you're planning to come off alcohol it would be best to talk to your GP or local alcohol service. And remember, if you feel any severe symptoms, call the ambulance or seek medical help. Yes, Reese, definitely seek some help. You don't have to do it by yourself is the message we'd like to give. Now, Anita, we've established what alcohol dependency is. Why would someone drink so much that they become dependent? Well, that is a complex question. Past trauma often plays a part in why a person develops a drinking dependence. And by trauma... I'm not just referring to events like wars or witnessing a violent death, but not feeling valued or that you are special for an extended period while growing up can also be experienced as trauma and certainly can have a similar impact in terms of leaving someone with a sense of mistrust in the world and people. That life is frightening and something to be endured rather than exciting and something to be savoured. Alcohol is a depressant effect as Ali talked about before. Yeah. And this can be used to block out feelings of anxiety, fear, or feelings of hopelessness, loneliness, shame, guilt, and more. When you drink enough alcohol, it can numb these feelings that make us uncomfortable and temporarily ease the mental strain our bodies might have. Mm. So if someone has had past trauma, such as a sexual or physical assault, exposure to family violence, a car accident, or a violent relationship or generational traumas like poverty, racism, exposure to wars. Drinking can be used as a coping mechanism to deal with all of these uncomfortable feelings. Mm. Alcohol dependency can also be a taught and learnt behaviour. Someone's parents could have an alcohol dependency. They could have grown up in a culture that promoted unhealthy alcohol consumption Mm. or felt pressure to do it from peers and things like that. It can also be learned from repetition. Right. So it seems there is many different ways someone could develop an alcohol dependency. Absolutely, Reese. Now, you said that alcohol dependency can be a learnt behaviour from someone's family members? Yes. So I'm interested in what kind of effects someone's alcohol misuse and their behaviour might have on their children or family members. Yes, so people with alcohol dependencies can often hold shame and guilt over their drinking. This can come out in behaviours like hidden drinking, lying to their families or children about the extent of their drinking or a denial of a problem existing. They can become unpredictable in their emotional responses, sometimes being over-loving and warm, to then being distant or not present in the moment, angry to kind and happy to depressed. Right. And they can also become physically or emotionally abusive. Mm. It can also affect their ability to maintain work and contribute to maintaining the household. Mm. These behaviours can have adverse effects on family members and children. Mm. I'll talk about family members first. Okay. 
When we say family members, we are referring to the partners, parents, siblings or close relatives that are heavily involved, such as the grandparent or carer. Right, okay. These family members can often get disappointed by promises that are never lived up to. They can live in fear of not knowing what the drinking person will be like when they get home from the pub. Mm. When the drinking person is over-loving and caring, but distant and closed off the next day, this can make these loving feelings feel bogus or made up. Mm. Lying about drinking can make family members feel misled, confused and frustrated as the truth gets blurred more and more. Mm. Financially, it can get difficult for family members if the drinking person is spending all of their spare money on alcohol and neglecting birthday gifts or cinema tickets Mm. to even basic things like food, bills or rent. Mm. In some cases, family members are often verbally, physically or emotionally abused Mm. if they challenge or question any of the drinking. And all while this is going on, they're often worried and concerned about their loved one's physical and mental health. Yeah. These are a few things amongst many more that family members live with each day when they have a person who is misusing alcohol in their household. Mm, That is a lot to hold each day, isn't it? It sure is. Would children feel all of these effects as well? Yes, they would. However, it is important to say that just because somebody drinks problematically, it does not mean their children or other family members will necessarily experience all or any of these things. Right. A lot of work the family service does with families is helping them to reduce or prevent children and the family being affected by their loved one's alcohol use. Ah, right. Okay. Managing an alcohol misuse's behaviour can often be a full-time job for the partner, the parents or the carer. This can often mean children can be forgotten about or not given the attention and the time they need to be a normal child. The stress of coping with the alcohol misuse's behaviour can lead to family members being closed off emotionally Mm. as they simply do not have the time or energy to give to other people. Mm. This can make children feel unloved and unwanted. It can also affect children's ability to engage in school. Mm. They might not get the help with homework at home, which affects their grades. Similarly, if the parent doesn't wake up in the morning till late, they might have to get themselves to and from school or make themselves breakfast and food in the mornings. Mm. If the child is the main carer for the alcohol misuser, they could even cook the meals, get the groceries, do the household chores or look after their younger siblings Mm. instead of engaging in learning or playing with their mates. They're caring for their parents or brothers or sisters. Mm. In some cases, children often see their parents arguing about the drinking whilst not understanding what is going on. Mm. Children are often not taught or told about the drinking problems because of the shame or guilt we talked about earlier. Mm. Again, these are just a few of the things children have to cope with on a daily basis. Mm. Wow, so quite an overwhelming list of things. I can imagine it would affect them quite a lot. Yes, it does. Well, thanks, Anita, for coming to talk to us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. The daily lives of family members and children of alcohol misusers is no easy feat. Constantly living through these feelings and dealing with these behaviours. I think it's important for us to jump back into the conversation with Lolly to hear more on this topic. It'd be good to talk about your son. All right, then. Uh, my son's turned out to be very much like his dad. He's, um, he's married a girl who's an ex-heroin addict, so she's on medicine every day mm. for being a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. But he has dabbled. He's, he slips back into having heroin and crack. Mm. I just wish he'd just have the smoke, which he's a nicer person, but he drinks very heavily mm. through... Um, seeing his dad drink monkey does what monkey sees Mm. being my husband got so ill with the drink in the end it has opened my granddaughter's eyes she don't want to know about drink she says Mm. after seeing pop die with all them machines on him Mm. i don't want to know but it's not it's not registered with my son and his wife Mm. they 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 drink every day Mm. and do drugs every day they um it is sad because I can see they look about 20 years older than what they really are. Mm. 
You know, I even says to him when we were visiting Keith in hospital, this can be you two if you don't start to clean your act up. But mm. they wouldn't listen to me, so. Mm. And what's your relationship with him? Um, I'm a bit like I am with Keith. I, I can be scared of him at times. Mm. I'm frightened to sometimes in his company, and he hates that because mm. I do show it in my face. Mm. Um, he has gone for me in drink. Mm. I had him arrested a while back because of, um, well, he stole my phone and he, he hit me, and mm. I, I told the police because I wanted my phone back. Mm. But on the phone, he'd been phoning different drug guys and uh, mm. they went through the phone and took these numbers off. Whether they did anything with it, I don't know. Mm. But he says they fill his collar a lot and they know his name now, mm. <laughs> the local police. It sounds like it's been hard. It is. Thank God I've got the other kids and they're, they're, mm. they're my carers. They look after me. Mm. I just hated drink so much because mm. it changed him so much. He wasn't fun to be with. I was scared of him. He'd lash out at mm. me. You know, I was all the idiots under the sun. Mm. And I do feel like he did keep us very short of money. He would never let me uh, help managing the money in the house. Mm. Uh, as I said, he wouldn't put my name on the rent book. So n now that I am on my own... I'm lucky that I've got Alison, my daughter, and she does all my paperwork because mm. I never, I've not looked after myself all these years. It's always mm. been him. He did keep a roof over the, us, our heads, always paid the bills. Mm. I will give him that. We didn't go without, mm. but he he did have a lot of money to waste in my mm. eyes, where we could have had holidays, mm. nicer things. Yeah. But it went on the drink and then drugs as well, yeah. you know. I'm I'm frightened of people when there's drink around. It's yeah. made me feel like that because he'd get hold of me and shake me and I'd go flying across the room and bang into furniture and I'd be all bruised. And I'd, next day I'd say, look what you've done to me. Mm. Look how bruised I am. And you say, oh, you bruise easily. Mm. You know, he never, never ever said sorry. Mm. He was always in the right. I was always in the wrong. Mm. I mean, I can remember laying in bed crying my eyes out after you'd pass out. And I used to say, my mama didn't bring me in the world to live this way. Mm. You know, but because I couldn't move, I went to the council through solace. As I said, they'd only give me a, a mm. one occupant place. I couldn't take my dogs with me. Mm. But when Savas helped me, I got a lovely flat and I took my dogs with me. Mm. The saddest thing is they both died within three weeks of each other of things wrong with them. Mm. But I've got a lovely dog now and he's as big as a polar bear, more or less. Mm. <laughs> my son's dog has some puppies, you know. Yeah. What kind of things would you recommend for someone that may have gone through or is going through something that you have gone through already? Well, I think use the programs out there like you guys, if you can get them to get involved in, in, in that because he was good when he was coming here mm. uh, for better lives uh, and he was mixing with other people, uh, you know, but I, I used to come to a woman's group, but all the women in the group were women that were the drinkers and there was only a couple of us that were the ones on the other side mm. and they used to come out with things and I used to say, you know, the, the saddest thing is we finish up so disappointed because you come off the drink, you start behaving yourself, everything's going along nicely, mm. and then we can come home from work or just come home from shopping, and you've you've hit the bottle, mm. and you're just so disappointed. Oh no, not this again. Mm. You know, and I and I got to the point where I showed my disappointment all the time, mm. which doesn't help. I mean, Alamon, they say you just can't. You can't, you're you're as sick as him in in the end, mm. as the person you're living with. You 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 try to control it, and you can't. Mm. There's nothing you can do. It's all up to them if they want to get themselves well. Mm. I don't know whether it's the good one, but I just used to get myself away from the situation so I didn't get hurt. Mm. 
I still looked at it like if I knew I'd try and arrange something, I was going out all night. I'd done a lot of babysitting for people mm. and could earn money that way. I worked for a family that got a child with uh, cystic fibrosis and autism mm. and uh, I should feed him through the stump because I was a nurse once and mm. f oxygen and all that. And then I'd look after the twins if she wanted a night out. Mm. So um, that was my way of escapism. I used mm. to just let him get on with it. And, um, mm. you know, but I always left food. There's always food there for him. Mm. So he didn't go hungry. I'd have everything everything put away, the house tidy, mm. everything right for him so he didn't have anything to pick on me mm. about. You know, I mean, one of the hardest things is bringing him a meal and he just throws it down the toilet and there's two Rottweilers sitting there and I'm going, why didn't you give them to the dogs? Mm. You know, but it was a way to hurt me. One thing was when I joined Al-Anon and we used to have little magazines mm. of all the things people in alcohol would get up to mm -hmm. and I'd talk to people and they well, that happens to me. Mm. So I could see it, it wasn't just me because they always tell you, it's your fault I do mm. this. Yeah. It's not. It, everything's their own fault. And when you realise there's other people going through the exact same yeah, thing definitely. as well. Yeah, You know, it's just, it's the illness. It's mm. an illness. And they don't like you saying it's an mm. illness, that they're sick. I'm not sick. Mm. And I felt like he never, ever really wanted to be well. But I did have 15 years when he'd, when he'd come off the building, when, when he'd gone down the police station and broken their windows. Mm. He went to AA then, and, he, and I did have 15 years mm. when he was a lot better, but then he went back. And I can remember being at Alan on meetings, and there'd be a lady turn up, and she hasn't been to a meeting for years because her husband had got off the drink and they were having a decent life mm. and then all of a sudden he's gone back on the drink mm. or she's gone back on the drink if it's a man at the meeting and within no time they've died mm. because the body just can't take it the liver just can't take it mm. and that was one of the things we said my liver's okay my liver's okay but it wasn't mm. <laughs> My mum friend says to him, you know, you know that dried up bit of liver in the in the butcher's window? Mm. That's what your liver looks like with the big holes in. Probably, yeah. It's not right. It's not that far from the truth. Because the liver does heal itself. Yeah. To, you you know, quite to, a lot yeah. in the beginning, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, but in the end it says enough is enough. Yeah. And then the cat then it goes cancerous. It goes I mean, we lost his dad with cancer of the liver and we lost five uncles with, with the same thing mm. back in America. And they're all drinkers as well. All heavy drinkers. Right. I mean, my son, when he started drinking and a girlfriend of mine says to him, why are you drinking so heavily? And he go, oh, it's in my genes. Mm. And she said, well, you don't have to put them on, do you? Mm. You know, and you don't. Mm. But that's always been his excuse. He loved to drink. I mean... A year or so ago, he sat with his dad drinking tequila and whiskey. Mm. And in the end, they had a fight. Noah punched holes in the walls. Mm. He called the police on him. Mm. He was forever calling the police on Noah. One time, he was so bad, I, I went up to Alison's. Noah went out of a girlfriend, come back at three o'clock in the morning, and there was loud music on in the house. So Noah put loud music on. He come down swearing at him, telling him to turn the music down, mm. kept pushing him to the floor, mm. got hold of a list. He had like a little hammer that he was putting posters up with and hit mm. his dad, knocked his dad out with the hammer. Mm. His girlfriend called an ambulance because there was blood everywhere. Mm. Police turned up, now finished up in the cells. Mm. We had to go to court. Mm. And so many times they would fight and Keith would phone the police and we'd have to go to court again, mm. you know. And in the end, as I got my son moved, I got so many case numbers that the council had to then house him mm. to get away from the madness indoors. Mm. You know, it's like a war comes into your house, the police come into your house, the police visit the house so many times with my husband. Mm. And he'd get away with so much as well. Mm. It's just... Oh, it's nuts. Mm. And as I says, it, it's good if a person will get into a, some sort of program mm. and get themselves clean. But as again, it's up to that person. Mm. Would you be able to just tell me about some of the work that you did with Ali? Well, she, she cancelled me. 
She was very good, you know, telling me where I could turn around and say, don't talk to me like that. Mm. Don't abuse me, mm. you know. So giving you empowerment and yeah. building resilience and stuff Definitely. like that. Definitely. Yeah. And then she gave me this wheel of violence that you go through with uh, the alcoholic. And yeah. I showed my granddaughter and she says, Nan, that's all what he does to you. Mm. The kids still loved him. They, they still visit him. I mean, they were there at the end when, when he died. Mm. I mean, she used to go in the end every day while he was in intensive care and read the Bible to him because mm. my, my girl and her, her kids, they're, they're good church-going people. Her husband's um, a bit like a lay minister as an elder at his church. We used to do a Christian camp together, take uh, mm. about 240-odd kids away in the summer and live under canvas. I used to cook there mm. with them. Uh, yeah, I mean, they've been brought up in the church, so they're very forgiving in that way. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they're nice kids. the story told today resonates with you, it may be a good idea to talk about it. The Family Service offers a therapeutic interventions for people who experience issues with their loved ones around alcohol and drug misuse. We offer one-to-one -one interventions tailored to your needs and wants, where you get to discuss whatever you want around the issues of alcohol and drugs. We also provide group work sessions where you can hear from people in similar situations to you. You can find information about our service on the Islington directory. If you just Google Islington Directory or Better Lives Family Service, it should come up. The Islington Directory also has many other services that offer a range of different interventions for a raft of different needs. It may be good to just check it out and have a look. And remember, it's always better to talk about it than to let it dwell. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'll chat later.